So we served as AGWM missionaries in China for 10 years, almost 11 years, and that was from 2006 through 2016. Then we were asked to direct Fire Bible translation projects in India for the following three years. And uh, now for the past two years, we've been working with, the, um, with this area that I'm going to talk about today. So let's pray before we start, and um, it'll be a good service. Lord, I just uh, thank you for this morning, and um, I could just pray the song service this morning, that there would be hope and freedom and, and uh, the unbound, and uh, it, let this just be a day of freedom, a day of deliverance, and a day of hope for everybody in here. Amen? Amen. America, our kids are under attack. That's a good amen. Our kids are under attack. 331 people, 331 million people live in America. 42 million are survivors of sexual abuse. One out of four girls, one out of six boys are sexually abused prior to their 18th birthday. Some say the statistics are closer to one out of three girls, one out of five boys. 20% of our sons and daughters will be solicited online prior to reaching age 18, and you will hear much today about the dangers of the internet. 80% of our college freshmen are addicted to pornography, and that's boys and girls. I was speaking at a, um, at a college downstate, and um, actually at a church downstate where um, we have a, a university, and she says, well, that's low. 80% is low, it's more like 90%. And, uh, and she teaches in a, in a Bible college, so um, it's a problem. It's a problem with the, with the church. It's a problem with the world. It's just a problem. 20% of our daughters will be sexually abused prior to, re prior to graduating from college, much of it being a result of partying involving alcohol, drug abuse. And, um, and if the abuse was not reported when it occurred as a child, the average age that adult men and women uh, victims seek help or are able to talk about this event in their life or these events in their life is how old do you think? How do you think that if you don't report it as a child that you will, that you're able to talk about it? Any ideas? 29. 50? 52 years old. So that is 37 years from the time you're 18 until you're 52 that, um, or whatever that is, um, that, um, that people carry that. And it's a lot of stuff to carry for many years, isn't it? So many of us in this room are included in those numbers. One out of four, look around. Statistically, one out of four of the, of the ladies in this, in this uh, building, along with one out of six of the guys, have been sexually abused in their lifetime. And they've never told anybody, or at least the vast majority have never told anybody. Sharon and I are also um, abuse victims as children. I was seven years old and sexually abused by a 16-year-old female babysitter. Both of my parents worked full-time, and they were giving Vicki an opportunity to earn some money that summer. And, um, and I just never told anybody about it. I didn't think it affected me, and many will say that. It didn't affect me, just deal with it. It's something that happened. It was just something that happened, but later I, that I, I discovered it prematurely opened my heart 
to behaviors and thought patterns before I was ready. Seven years old, and now I, I, um, I don't want to get political, but I'm just, I'm just stating the facts, is that in our schools, they're teaching our kids the same age I was when I was abused, and to me, this is sexual abuse. No seven-year-old child needs to know about, about sexual matters. So as a preteen and as a teenager, it led to a pornography addiction that I had for many years. I also discovered that by not talking about my childhood abuse, I became emotionally detached, which is an inability or an unwillingness to con connect with other people on an emotional level, including my immediate family and my extended family. Sharon was introduced to sex by a girlfriend when she was 10 years old. The girlfriend had been told things to try by an aunt that recently had gotten married. And later, when Sharon was 12 to 13 years old, she would attend uh, sleepovers with several of her school friends. And they would try things. And Sharon stopped going afterwards. And she walked out of, the, out of one pit and stepped into another in her home. And um, she, she started uh, being abused by her father and two of her seven brothers. She never told anybody, but later in life, she shared with a friend, and she was set free through prayer and deliverance. Amen. When we returned to the States in 2020, God led us down the path of reconciliation. People need to be set free. You don't just forget about it and move on. Anybody who has been sexually abused needs to talk to somebody about it or needs counseling. So people need to be set free. God used our experiences to reach out and see others healed, mind, body, and spirit. As AGUSM missionaries, Sharon and I have founded a ministry named Unbound. Our passion is to bring freedom to victims of childhood sexual abuse and domestic child sex trafficking. He has asked us to share our story of hope, restoration, and redemption to be a voice for the voiceless, to be a voice for those who didn't feel comfortable speaking about it or talking about it, but it happened. And as a nation, we have an enormous problem. And um, what do we have up here? This is us. Do you, you don't have, what do you have up there next? I'm sorry. Okay, go back. You can go back. Okay. So I don't have, I had a picture of, of my entire family, at least the five younger ones, um, and Sale was one of them. So I'm going to introduce Sale to you right now. Stand up. Stand up. Turn around. No way. You know, yesterday we, um, we came up early, and we thought it was going to be just a, uh, a stop by the uh, Skywalk Bridge and, and, come, and come back. My goodness. I haven't seen that many people ever. I don't think that many people are even around up here. And, um, but there was thousands of people waiting in lines and, and uh, lines that would wrap around things. <laughs> it was just a long line. But uh, we did see the Skywalk Bridge, and it was awesome. You guys got to go. Anybody up here has got to go. And um, the only problem is, is that it's a, it's a uh, what do they call them, suspension bridge. Well, if you ever walked on a suspension bridge, it doesn't, it's not like walking on a hard surface. You're kind of walking like this, right? Holding on to the sides. Whoa. 
And um, so the people coming back were, were encouraging us like, it only gets worse. <laughs> it only gets worse. As you start walking around this, they'll say, whoo, whoo, you, you won't believe it out here. And they have a glass in the floor and you can see down 120 feet. And um, oh my goodness. But it was a riot. Was it fun, Salem? Yes. She says, yes. Alrighty. So, church as a nation, we have an enormous problem. Sexual abuse is found across every age, every religion, every race, and economic class that has left lifetime effects. This evil plays no secrets. It, her, it happens in urban areas as, as well as rural settings. Small towns, small towns are as vulnerable as large cities. You think it's happening around here? I've heard, I've heard the north is, is a hot spot, especially up around Mackinac City and, and up in there. I've talked to people from Onaway. I've talked to people from, well, Gaylord and um, um, Petoskey, Charlevoix. It's just a hotbed up here, and I think it has to do with the tourist industry. They, they bring it in with them. So um, it's... it's uh, it's bad. So I want to again thanks, thank Pastor Norm for offering me the opportunity to speak to this evil epidemic. So an official definition of child sex trafficking is this. It's the forced commercial, it's the forced commercial ex sexual exploitation of children through buying, selling, or trading their sexual services, which occurs when someone uses force, fraud, promises, coercion, blackmail, or all the above to cause a minor to commit a commercial sex act. Commercial part of it being for money. And the US Department of Justice estimates that 200,000 American children are trafficked into the domestic sex, sex industry every year. And what do you think the average age of? And that's why I think Pastor had the uh, teens and the preteens in here. 12 to 14 years old. That's the average age of the victims and um, childhood sexual abuse is a crime that's hidden in plain sight. I was, uh, we, we talked last night until 10 after 11 or so, and um, we were talking about, about, um, about some of the things that I saw just on the bridge, and, um, and I won't discuss those, but, but um, you can look at certain people that look like they don't go together, like older men and young girls, things like that. And um, it's, it's horrific. But they're hidden in plain sight if we're looking for them. And it's the most underreported crime in America today, which contributes to both the lack of awareness and to the widespread growth of this crime. Sexual traumatized kids are hoping someone will notice and protect them. I was talking to a pastor uh, in Lansing. And um, they are—they uh, have just left Lansing, and they're going to be moving up to Mackinac Island, and they're going to be um, uh, ministering on the island. And uh, he was telling me last year that uh, he saw what was a very obvious sexual uh, or uh, a trafficked child, and uh, he went to the police on the island, and he said, "What can I do?" It's, I'm one guy on an island that has thousands and thousands and thousands of tourists every year. 
So, um, yeah, it's, it's a problem. Sexual traumatized kids are looking for someone who will notice, protect them. Let's not look past it or simply ignore it or bury it. These are abused children, some as young as how old? Two months. I know, sick. Many of the victims are kids under 18 who were sexually abused as children in their own homes. Girls are the frequent victims of incest or intra-family sexual abuse much more frequently than boys. Between 33 to 50% of sexually abused girls are from family members. 20 to 25% by fathers and 15 to 20% by siblings, grandfathers, uncles, and other relatives. And to dovetail the above statistic, the number of intra-family trafficking, not just abuse, is also on the rise. Parents traffic their children to, or use their own kids to traffic other kids. Many times it is to support the parents' alcohol or drug addictions. Domestic sex trafficking is the second highest crime in America, and it has infiltrated every neighborhood, every zip code, and every state in our nation. The highest crime is drug trafficking. Number two is sex trafficking. Countless traffic victims are homeless youth, kids in the foster care system, throwaway kids, the neglected, and others that live with previous sexual abuse. Again, it is evil, and these kids are vulnerable. Now, before I go any further, I want to talk about the, uh, the foster parents. I have great respect for foster parents. They, um, the vast, vast majority of them are doing this to give kids a home, and they're stepping in where their own parents have failed them or they've been taken away. However, there's a percentage that, um, that, aren't, that isn't the case. They're in it for the money. And what it, what it does, and, and actually even with, with uh, parents that are good foster parents, they can't get away from or ignore the fact that the kids don't feel like they belong. They're just like staying with people that are, that are kind of taking care of them, but they're not mom and dad, they're not siblings that, that they're living with. They normally have foster kids, several foster kids in every foster home. And that uh, sex traffickers target children in foster care and group homes because the children are more vulnerable to exploitation because of the trauma they have experienced and the lack of a permanent home. Permanent homes are, are very, um, very important for people because, or for kids, because kids want to belong, right? Kids want to belong, they want to be part of a group, and, um, and they, they just don't feel free living in a, in a foster care, so they're, they're, um, they're very vulnerable. In the U.S., 60% of domestic child sex trafficking victims have a history of being in the child uh, welfare system. 74% of child trafficking cases involve sex trafficking. The other 26% would be the boys who are also sexually abused but they're also trafficked into the labor market. And many sex trafficking victims are runaway girls who are sexually abused as children in their own homes. One in seven runaways reported missing were very likely uh, sex trafficking victims. And of those, one out of seven, 88%, were in the care of social services or foster care when they ran. 
The majority of sex trafficking is accomplished through the Internet. Although social media and the entertainment industry are gateways into our souls, Internet pornography is a major gateway into our, into our souls. Most trafficking begins online by romancing the kids, primarily girls, and then meeting them in some predetermined place. Parents, we can't be naive about this. Don't be naive about this. Our kids are being specifically and intentionally targeted for sex trafficking. They're being watched. And they're being watched not only by traffickers themselves, but recruiters that are, that are grooming kids so that they can turn them over or sell them to the traffickers. While our schools have been shut down, and online learning has been happening. That's not the case now, but it was last year. Guess how thousands of our kids were spending their idle computer time? It wasn't homework. It wasn't doing extra credit. They have become addicted to social media. I was reading an article by Angela Gorda, who is a director for the Eating Disorders Program at John Hopkins University and uh, an associate professor of psychiatry at the John Hopkins School of Medicine. She estimates that Instagram and other social media apps play a role in the disorders of about half of her patients, and it's the ones most vulnerable who are already developing a problem that the use of Instagram and other social media can only escalate it. And it not only does it lead to eating disorders, but it also leads to sex trafficking. All of us, parents included, are on social media way too often. All of us, parents included, are on social media way too often. Recently, we saw a group of 15 or 16 kids together at a restaurant, Pizza Hut, and every single one of them were on their devices. That's cell phones for us older folks. And no one was talking to each other. 16 kids sitting around a table, all on their phones. Now, they may have been talking to each other via phone. I don't Who knows who they're talking to? I know that's how my kids, not these kids, but my older kids used to um, call. They, they would actually text me, Dad, uh, when are we going to eat? Are you not just downstairs? Okay, we'll move on. So sadly, our children are being desensitized and groomed by perpetrators. Our schools are grooming our kids. Grooming behaviors of traffickers also often include traffickers pay special attention to certain children by taking them out on outings and giving them gifts. Parents, we need to be aware of what's going on and who their kids' friends are, including adults and family members. We need to know who our kids are, the influencers of our kids. Traffickers isolate certain children from other kids. Traffickers fill the children's unmet needs and make them feel special. Traffickers fill needs and roles within the family, primarily fathers. Traffickers treat the child as if he or she is older. Who doesn't want to be treated older? I don't, but there are that do. Traffickers gradually cross physical boundaries. <coughs> and 
and traffickers becoming increasingly intimate and sexual. The United States is the number one country in the world for commercialized sex with children. And I'm thinking, no way. How many, how many of you would have thought that? America is the number one nation in the world for commercialized sex. We didn't either. We would have thought it was China or Thailand or India, where we personally witnessed it numerous times. No, instead it's America. And while it is true that both boys and girls are victimized, girls are sexually exploited nine times more often than boys. Suicide becomes an, indica becomes an indicator of how traumatizing sexual abuse and domestic sex trafficking is to young ladies. It's traumatizing. And, and these things can happen, and almost every time, they're, they're trauma. They're traumatizing to the kids. Statistics reveal that out of those who survive, 2% receive the counseling or the healing they need to truly function in society again. And out of those 2%, very few ever marry or are able to have children due to the physical damage and the emotional trauma that they have experienced. But by God, by God, healing is possible and that's what we're striving for, and that's what we sang about this morning. Healing is possible through Jesus Christ. The most effective way, and this is, this is very important, the most effective way to fight this evil is through awareness and education. 95% of trafficking cases could be alleviated through education if people are just aware of what's going on. When we expose, educate, equip, and empower our communities with information, it helps keep our vulnerable children safe from being trafficked. Be involved in your kids' lives from a young age. So what do vulnerable children look like? I talked about that a little earlier, but what do they really look like? They have low self-esteem. And these are things to look for in, in kids. Low self-esteem, poor family relationships, mental illness like anxiety, depression, or PTSD, homeless, poverty, isolated, addicted, and abuse, and abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and spiritual abuse. And where do traffickers find their victims? Social networks, foster care systems, homes, neighborhoods, bus stations, for the runaways especially, leads from recruiters, clubs, bars, shopping malls, and schools. Much of the sex traffic is happening in the schools, again, on the internet. Uh, blackmailing kids, they'll take pictures if you send a, maybe your, your child would send a picture to someone else, then they blackmail that, that, uh, that person with that picture, and then they they put it out there for uh, the traffickers to notice. And as I just found out last week, as I was talking in a church, um, there was a truck driver. It says their company now uh, it has mandatory training for sexual abuse um, for, all, at the, all the, for all the rest stops. And he says, it just makes me sick. I just want to pluck these girls out of these rest areas that um, they're just hanging out, hanging out with the truckers. 
Then there's the signs. Would you know it if you saw it? Would you know a, a trafficked child or an abused child if you saw it? This is what they'll do, and I have this, these 10 items uh, at the table out here. They'll show injur injuries or signs of physical abuse. They'll avoid on, or eye contact with authority figures, including law enforcement. Lack of physical identification documents. They're, that's both legally and the illegals. Tattoos or branding on the neck, especially the neck. Maybe the shoulder, but mostly the neck. And that just kind of lets the other traffickers know that they're taken. Poor physical condition, malnourished, lack of dental care, STDs. Disoriented, unaware of their surroundings. They're kind of mentally lost. You know, they, you see them there, but, you know, nobody's home. Lack of personal possessions. They're destitute. They wear the same clothes, regardless of the weather. Children not allowed to go into public or speak for themselves. They always have someone with them. And rehearse scripted responses and social interaction by the trafficker. They will never answer anything themselves. It's the trafficker. You ask a girl a question, and the trafficker will answer. When we are searching for children or young people, we use all of these signs. Unbound recently formed a collaborative relationship with Free International out of Las Vegas, Nevada. And they primarily just work with trafficking. We work with abused and trafficked kids. They work with all trafficking from old to young. So we've connected with them and, uh, and we do search events with them. And search events are, are looking for the runaway kids, basically, and returning them home or returning them to a place they will be safe where we can... We can uh, let law enforcement know who they are, where they are. They'll pick them up and at least get them taken care of for three days. They can put them away for three days, um, and, and that's what they do. So I think now's a good time to show those. Oh, you are sharp. <laughs> okay, let's kind of run through this a minute. I'll step off to the side. Unbound and Free International work together, but not only in education and awareness, but also coordinates volunteer groups and organizations and search events for missing children, direct outreach on the streets, and help victims with immediate needs. And um, we put uh, groups together, and uh, we go out onto the streets and, um, and look for kids. And um, the uh, 141 van right there, um, or trailer, is uh, part of, uh, we have like seven of them in Free International. And Speed the Light has underwritten the cost of these trailers for search events. Next. This is a group of volunteers that are laying hands on the trailer for the ministry that will take place that evening. Next. On the left, this is a, a girl who has been set free. And uh, we also have the helicopters from law enforcement and that's in the Las Vegas area. But um, freedom, hope, and wholeness, that's our byline. That's, that's what we believe that God wants for all of us to be set free. Next. Two additional victims rescued from the enemy's camp, the two that are blocked out. The other three are volunteers that, um, yeah, enough said. Next. 
It's time we stopped hiding child abuse. It's time we stopped it and talk about it. If we can't talk about it, then how are we ever going to find out about it? And um, you say, well, the church is good. You know, you can go into schools. You can go the other. We do go into schools. But primarily, churches is where we're getting the message out. And the, the people in the churches, that's how you can help, is that people in the churches can um, spread the word. Okay, I, I think we have another one on a, on a search event. Okay, this is our search event in Chicago. This happened in May. Uh, this is Brad um, um, talking with a group of volunteers that are going to go to the streets of Chicago. What we have, what we give volunteers is these pamphlets that have the kids' um, uh, information on them. And what they have on them is a picture of the child, the name, um, where to contact, the, uh, who to contact, what police uh, precinct, and um, if we see them, because they'll come in and, um, and talk to them or do whatever they're going to do with them. Notice the age on just this, this kids, 12, 12, 14, and 15. Next. This is what the cover looks like. Next. That's just more. 15, 13, and 16. And um, that's the back cover, just to show you what we hand out for them to walk around. What they'll do is they'll, they'll go to people on the streets and say, have you seen this child? This child's been missing for two weeks. This, we... Um, uh, in fact, we, I, I went the first one in Chicago, I went to first ladies' salon that I stopped at. I walked in and says, you know this girl? She goes, yeah, that's my friend. Wow, this is easy. But, I says, but now she's gone. And this was, she was missing since January, this is May. And um, I says, where is she? And uh, she says, I don't know. She just disappeared last week. Or I mean, uh, last January. Amazing. Next. This is, uh, we worked with the Chicago Dream Center as well. Um, they wanted to come alongside and, and help with the searches. But uh, every Friday night, um, they go around to the, the prostitutes' houses for those that are being prostituted. And, um, and walk the streets and, and pray for girls of the, uh, that are being prostituted. Next. And those were... This is the girl that was found. And uh, in Chicago, we only found one. Normally, we have better success than that, but we didn't have enough lead time before we went to Chicago to really do a, um, a um, how would you say, a background check on, to find out who they were and where they are. So this is, uh, like I said, a 13-year-old girl that's reunited with her mom and her aunt. Next. You'll see these hotels all over the place. This is a... Uh, this is one of those hotels, and um, we were looking at at the door behind that behind that box truck, and uh, because we knew that there was someone in there that had taken a girl in there. Next, how can you be of help? Being aware, talking about it, and um, and don't just don't bury your head your uh, your head. Um, okay. Let's talk about untrafficked, sexually exploited children. Childhood sexual abuse has many components, including domestic sex trafficking. It's either or or, it's both. It's not either or, it's both. 
According to the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, almost 80,000 cases of child sexual abuse reported each year falls far short of the actual number. Only 16%, excuse me, only 16% of the victims ever report their crime. 16, that's 84% of the kids that are, their, um, that are abused are, are not reported. And where's the church's impact in all of this? Is the church making any difference at all? What do you think, church? Is the church making any difference at all in this area? Not enough. We believe that a primary reason the church is not as free and whole as it needs to be is because between the traumatized adult victims that kept their abuse a secret, never told anybody, and or the church members themselves that are still addicted to pornography, statistics have showed two-thirds of even church people are, are still addicted to pornography, the church is a shell of what it should be. We should be set free. All of us should be set free in doing the work of the Lord. I have yet to speak to any group, regardless of size, regardless of gender, or regardless of spiritual background or no spiritual background, where at least one person in the group has not been sexually exploited as a child. And the same thing would be true in this room. I won't do it. But if I had those that have been abused raise their hand, you'd be shocked. You'll be shocked. Interestingly, interestingly, when I mention this to pastors about how frequently it happens, they will tell me of their own experiences or their spouse's experience with sexual abuse as a child. Last week, I met with a pastoral couple, and when I shared this observation, they responded, us too. Can't tell you how many pastors I talked to just scheduling um, services, how, how many have been sexually abused. It's like astronomical. I can't hardly believe it. Check these uh, facts out. There are nearly 500,000 registered sex offenders in America, half a million. 80 to 100 of these offenders are missing in action. In other words, 20% of the sex offenders out there that are registered, law enforcement has no idea where they're at. Guess where they're at? They're in our neighborhoods. The FBI estimates there's a sex offender living in every square mile of the United States. A typical pedophile will commit 117 sexual crimes against children in a lifetime. 117. More than 90% of sexual abuse is committed by someone the victim knows, loves, and trusts. 90%. And this is sad. This is very sad. 49% of those with special needs, almost half, or yeah, almost half, will experience 10 or more sexual abuse incidents in their lifetime. <clears throat> and more than 90%, or excuse me, and as disgusting as this is, 90% of people, male and female, with developmental disabilities will be sexually avoid, uh, abused at some point in their lives. 90%. And then half of them has been 10 or more times. 
Does that make you sad? It's people that, that it's like they can't defend themselves in many cases. We believe God wants us all, everybody, all y'all. Thank you very much. Ice water. Thank you. We believe God wants us all, like I learned in Missouri, that's all y'all, not just y'all, but all y'all, to share our struggles in life for the benefit of others. Every one of us unknowingly comes into contact with people every day who have been sexually violated as a child and they've never told anybody. Victims of childhood sexual abuse are among the largest unreached people groups in the country. When I was in China, when I was in India, all I heard about was unreached people groups. Unreached people groups, unreached people groups. That's, that was the focus upon, the, um, upon those in foreign countries. Many survivors never fully recover from the trauma they've experienced. They become angry with God. They distance themselves from the gospel. Guess what? They need to be reached. They may have been reached one time. They may have walked an aisle one time. They may have accepted Christ. But the point is, today they're not serving God. They need to be reached. In the church, many surviving church members never reach any level of wholeness in their lives that Jesus offers them. The traumatized need to be able to talk about their abuse to begin the healing process and the relational pain from their abuse. If the church ignores the issue, many victims believe they are, uh, they are the only ones who are ever sexually abused, or they may believe that they were at fault. And let me assure you, if you were abused as a child or even into adulthood, it was not your fault. You're going to say, of course not. Maybe people say, of course that wasn't your fault. However, there's others that say, it was my fault. If I hadn't worn that, if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't said that, I wouldn't have been abused. It's not your fault. We have focused our ministry on bringing freedom, hope, and wholeness to people's lives. We absolutely believe that Jesus is our only hope for healing and from sexual abuse. There is nothing that destroys the heart and the soul more, more than sexual abuse. Why do you think it's so popular among the world and even among the church? How many of you have, have read the story or, or uh, read the Bible story of Tamar? Anybody know Tamar? Let me just summarize Tamar for you. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Verses 1 through 39. Amnon, the son of King David, contrived to get his half-sister Tamar, whom he loved, note that, whom he loved, he wanted her alone to have sex with her. His friend Jonadab, who is David's nephew, that's King David, came up with a conniving plan to fulfill Amnon's wish. Amnon faked illness, He asked Tamar to serve him a meal in his bedroom where he raped her. And Tamar was, of course, crushed. Her brother Absalom asked her if she had been with Amnon. 
She said yes. His brotherly advice was, be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. And I'm thinking to myself, what? Even in ancient days, victims were told to keep their abuse a secret. We're telling our people, our kids, just we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to deal with it. King David knew of this evil his son Amnon had done to Tamar, but he said and did nothing. Is that the same David that was, that was after God's own heart or a man after God's own heart? He was angry, but maybe because David felt he couldn't correct his son Amnon because of his own guilty conscience from his sin with Bathsheba. Tamar remained and lived a desolate life in her brother Absalom's house, the balance of her years. So what is it to be desolate? What does that mean? What what does desolate mean? It's a place deserted of people. It's in a state or being in a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. You just feel empty inside. A place depressingly empty or bare. A feeling of misery, unhappiness, and loneliness. Tamar was locked in the silence, shame, and abuse that she suffered at the hands of Amnon. An additional narrative to this story is after Amnon had raped her, he hated her with a great hatred. Didn't it say at the beginning that he loved her? Then he rapes her, abuses her, traumatizes her, and now he hates her. He said, get away from me. Just go. Told his servants, get her out. I don't want to see her again. So he got what he wanted and destroyed a life in the meantime. Now thousands of years later, untold millions of children are victims of sexual abuse and they carry the wounds of that abuse into their adulthood. Many in this room, have carried uh, a, child, a childhood abuse into adulthood. Living the same, in the same desolate condition as Tamar, unwhole, always feeling that you were at fault, many, many different emotions. So what are some of the reasons why victims remain quiet or keep the secret? Keep the secret. Why do you think that is? Shame. Any others? No trust. Threats. Embarrassment. All the above. All the above, yep. All the above. That's a big one because remember I said how much, how many times it happens for a member of the family? They don't want to get their father in trouble. He's, he's their whole life support. He's the one that that goes to work and pays the bills and gives them a place to live. They certainly don't want to go to foster care. Or the reaction of parents or the reaction of others. There's, for every abused person, there's a reason why they've never told anybody. Remember, there are over 42 million survivors of sexual abuse in America, but what does that level of survival look like? 
Are they truly whole? Are they whole in Jesus' name? Or are they just kind of hanging on? I believe many are just hanging on. Like Tamar, when we keep our abuse a secret, the enemy gains a foothold, Satan destroys their heart, and he heaps trauma on our souls. America, how did we get here? Church, how did we get to this point in our lives? How has this perversion and evil committed against our children been allowed to happen? Maybe, as, as we heard about next Tuesday, or this coming Tuesday, is your, your um, worship night um, to, uh, for the um, Pregnancy Resource Center. Well, maybe it started with the church's tolerance of abortion when life is not cherished. You don't cherish something, you don't, you don't care what you do to it. And children aren't treated as a gift and blessing that they are. Unfortunately, many of our children have been and are being neglected in this country. We have become a fatherless nation. I am not just talking about physically absent fathers, but I'm also talking about emotionally absent fathers. Our children have heart wounds. I'll say that again, too. Our children have heart wounds, and predators recognize their vulnerabilities. It is very easy to romance a vulnerable girl and have her accept the physical love of predators when she doesn't get um, unconditional love, not sexual, unconditional love in the home. Boys often become violent and mean without a father's influence, or they become abusers themselves. Or they struggle with the gender identity, and they don't accept their identity in Christ. Fathers, we should be our children's greatest fans. There any minute? Thank you. There's a father that says we should be our, our greatest fans of our kids. Let our sons know how incredibly proud we are of them. Not just when they score the touchdown or lead out in the in the orchestra, but even if they did none of those things, they are the best thing that's ever happened to us. And let our daughters know how valuable, precious, and special. They are to us, like Selah. She's very special to us and to me. Don't let predators fulfill our role of unconditionally loving and appreciating our children. They are special to us. Amen? Everybody in this room should say amen. Our children are special to us. Childhood sexual abuse is a horrific problem in the United States. Our wholehearted desire is to help the children who have been sexually traumatized to find their way to freedom, wholeness, and forgiveness by bringing the hope of Jesus into their broken, shattered lives. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to give three, just three ways of many, but just three that I think are important as it relates to this um, as it relates to this message. Number one, to fully heal and be whole, however old we are. Number one, out of three, number one, refuse to keep secrets. Refuse to keep secrets. Keeping secrets secret may not kill us physically, although it may. It has. Suicide. 
but it certainly has affected us emotionally and spiritually. We may feel dead inside, but talking about the trauma with someone we trust can set us free. If you've been sexually abused as a child, you need to find somebody. If you can't find anybody, your pastor would be more than happy or more than glad to talk to you and set you free or work with you to set, be set free. Refuse to be silent. I should say pastors. What we can't or won't talk about controls us. Both parties involved in the childhood sexual abuse need to talk about the abuse. The abused needs to release the secret. You did nothing wrong. God loves you, and he wants you whole in every way. The abuser, I haven't talked about the abuser. I've only talked about the abuse. The abuser needs to release the secret as well. You'll never be free if you don't confess and, and come clean and be free. Live up to the crime, pay the price, and fully heal. God loves you, and he wants you whole as well. When a secret is kept secret, we are isolated. And Satan has us right where he wants us, um, suffering alone. Refusing to keep a secret quiet is a powerful step in the healing process. Talking about it is a big step in moving forward. And lastly, refuse to live as a victim. And the enemy pulls us into the role of a victim. We get to choose. Don't have your choice taken away. Don't let um, this ruin your life any more than it already has. Forgiveness and move on and, um, and don't live as the victim. Because as unkind or as uncompassionate as may sound, accepting our past is vital to becoming whole. Forgiveness plays a huge role in the healing process. You may not be ready, but if you're going to move forward, you're going to need to reach that stage of forgiveness. If we don't forgive, we will live in torment, and the abuser is, in reality, what? Still tormenting us. We need to accept the chapters in our story that we can't change. We can't change them, so to accept them is really the key to moving forward in our path of healing. And like I said, our goal is to bring hope and healing and wholeness. There is a way to wholeness, and that's through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Thank you, folks. I hope you, um, if you have any questions, I'll be at my table out here. But um, I hope you take this seriously and um, in your community. And um, this is a rural setting. I don't think you're a big city yet. And, um, and this is your community. And uh, take it serious and, and look, to, look to social services or if you know any type of social workers, talk to them about it. Find out just how serious it is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person in this room this morning. Those that have been abused and those that haven't been abused. But what good would it be for me to share all the facts, all the, all the, um, the, uh, well, the facts and, and the feelings and, and how you're probably feeling and, and Tamar, if I didn't give you an opportunity 
to respond. So Lord, I just pray right now that any person in here that has been abused, that you would speak to them, that this would would strike home with them and say, I've been carrying this for way too long. I've been carrying this um, since I was a child, and I don't want to carry it with me anymore. I don't want, I, I want it, I don't want to live a life of desolation, loneliness, not be able to get close to people, not be able to trust anybody, any number of reasons why you have kept it inside. Um, I just pray for those folks, those people that need to be set free. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. It's a very personal decision. But, um, but we can't live in that, in that isolation. Please, please again, um, consider what your life could be like. And, um, and I know this is a, a loving, caring uh, community. And, um, and people care for you. Thank you, Lord. So I'm just going to pause for a sec. Let's think about it, then I'll close with a prayer. As we consider what what we've just heard, Lord, just work through us. Let us be a friend. First of all, uh, wholeness and and, uh, hope and uh, freedom comes through um, forgiveness. In addition to that, we need to have people lead people into forgiveness. So let this be that church that that um, that feel that feels safe. This is a this is a a hospital for the hurting. And uh, just that people would feel safe talking to somebody in the church that they know. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Norm. Thank you, brother. Uh, One of those warm and fuzzy messages. You know, Jesus hung on the cross for us. He suffered. He, he went through so many different things as he walked this earth. The abuse, physical, emotional. He knows what it means to suffer. And as Brother Craig said, if, if anybody hears, you find yourself in that place and you just need somebody to talk to, please consider us whether it's me or my wife, Barb, we're here for you. And don't carry this any longer than you have to. Father, thank you again for this uh, message. Though it wasn't necessarily what we want to carry around, Lord, it's important because there's so many people who are directly affected by it or indirectly affected by it. 
And we ask, Lord, that the church would rise up. Help us to see those people who are in need. Help us to reach out and to say, hey, can I help? Lord, may we not keep our heads in the sand, but maybe we be up looking for opportunity to let our light shine, to love those who need it most. Lord, we just give you this church today. Keep us safe as we come and go. We love you. Bless each one that was able to come here today. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.